And so when we get to Matthew chapter 6, first we see how not to pray. Now that's going to be our sermon tonight, so come back this evening for that one. But I do want to set us up in context, so let's look together, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You say, well, what is the main theme of those verses? Here's the point. When you pray, don't be a hypocrite. Amen? Many, when they pray, they're trying to put on a show, and they're trying to impress those around them. They use big words and fancy vocabulary. They want it to sound like they know so much about the Lord. Their prayers are done in pride, and they are self-seeking. Can I also tell you, a good prayer is not necessarily a long prayer. And some of you are thinking, and a good sermon is not necessarily a long sermon. I got you. I'm with you. It's not about the length of it. Have you ever tried to stay awake when someone was praying? And we think that the longer we pray, the more we're going to get the attention from God. For many, prayer is like the national anthem before a football game. It's one of those things you do out of ritual, but it has no connection to the experience. No, prayer is fresh communication with God. Prayers are to be intimate and truth between man and God. They're not to be a temper tantrum. Prayer is more than when we just go to God and ask our request. Some see prayer like a Coke machine. You put your coins in, and you expect a Coke on the other side. And if you don't get the Coke, you start shaking and screaming and getting angry. That's not prayer. There's much more to it than that. And so I want you to ask yourself the question, why do you pray? In your life, why do you pray? How would you rate your prayer life, your communication with God, your communion with the Lord, how would you rate that? Is it growing? Is it active? Is it vibrant? Or is it stale? Is it done out of ritual? Where would you say your prayer life is? You see, when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that over and over again, Jesus was found in prayer. Mark 1:35, it says, In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5, it says, but he would withdraw and pray. Luke 6, in those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. You see, Jesus would pray. He would pray often. He would pray every day for hours at a time. And if he should pray, how much more should we pray? In Luke chapter 11, the disciples come to Jesus, and they ask, Lord, would you teach us to pray? You'll notice they didn't say, Lord, would you teach us to preach? Lord, would you teach us to teach? 
Lord, would you teach us to sing? None of these things. They said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Because they knew it was so important. We've read it many times. We've recited it many times. Reminds me of the three-year-old boy who stood up one day to recite the Lord's Prayer. And he said, Our Father who does art in heaven, Harold is his name. Well, that's not exactly the point, but let, let's stand together just in honor of this awesome portion of Scripture. You've got your Bible. Look there in Matthew 9, in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you Lord we come to you this morning as that you would teach us from your word give us what we need let us to understand who you are on a deeper level. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Four words we're going to look at this morning. Four words that can totally transform our lives. Those words, our Father in heaven. Prayer begins with the words, our Father in heaven. What are the implications of God being our Father? Number one, God's paternity creates the relationship. The fact that God is our Father creates the relationship. For most people, especially throughout ancient times, the God little g or the gods that they worshipped were very distant and fearful. Even to the Jews, there was a, a distance between them and God. They knew God as Father, but it was more in a national sense. God is the father of the nation of Israel. It was not in a personal sense to say that he is my father, but he is the father to the nations. And so they saw him more as a, as a ruler, one who had this majestic nature to him. And so when Jesus comes and he begins this prayer and he says, our father, it was shocking to them. That they saw God is so distant, you'll remember, when they wrote down the name of God, they left the vowels out and left just the consonants. We don't even know how the name God was pronounced originally. Even today, if you have an Orthodox Jew for a friend, and they write you an email with the name God, they will write G-D. They want to make sure that that name is not thrown into the trash can. They want to revere it so highly, and that's good. That's great. Amen? But in that, they lost the intimacy. They lost the connection. They lost the personal level between them and God. And so Jesus comes and he says, this is how I want you to pray. And he leads them in this model and he starts with our Father in heaven. And a lot of folks didn't like that. In fact, when you look in John chapter 5, it says this. Jesus answered, Jesus is speaking, he said, my father is working until now, and I am working. 
This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father. They saw that, and they were taken aback by it, and they said, this cannot be. Jesus said, let's pray our Father in heaven. In the Greek, the word is patir, but Jesus would speak Aramaic, so he wouldn't say patir, he would say the word Abba. Now, Abba is a neat word because it's not so much father as it is daddy. If you went to Israel today, you'd see little boys and girls, they'd be running along the street, and when they called out to their daddies, they would say, Abba, Abba, Abba. And so it's more personal than father. It means my daddy. You see, Galatians 4, 6, it says, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. We call him Abba because there's that personal sense to the relationship. My, my boys are in here, Mason and Maddox. Do you know that never do they come up to me and say, Oh, dearest Brother Case. <laughs> they don't do that. You know what they do? They come up to me and they say, Daddy. And I love it. They're getting bigger, more independent, more self-sufficient. And I'll watch them just go through life, and I'm so proud of them. But then they come up and they, they call me Daddy, and I put my arm around them. I love that. That's what, that's what God wants out of, out of you in your relationship. It's not religion. It's not all this stuff that we know. It's not these theological terms. It's not all the big words. It's important just to come and say, Daddy. Because when we realize that, it changes so much in our life to realize the one that you pray to. He is not some distant being far off. He is the one who you call Abba. J.I. Packer says this. I, I thought it was really good. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity— Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. You see, the prayer starts with our Father because it sets the stage for our entire spiritual life. Some of us, we have a weak spiritual life, and the reason why is because we have a bad understanding of God. We view God in a way that God is not. We view God that he wants to punish us, that he wants to judge us, that he's watching to see us fail. But when Jesus says, when you pray, pray our Father, it really begins to open your heart up and to see the one that we are praying to. Some folks talk weird about God, don't they? You ever heard someone talk about the big man? Maybe somebody talks about the man upstairs. That shows they don't know him. I heard about a a royal king who went to a, a neighboring kingdom and he was coming back into town and so there was music and there was dancing and horses and chariots and they were coming into town and a little boy jumped up and he began to ran towards the procession and he came to the king's chariot and he was about to get closer and a guard stopped him and said hey what are you doing don't you know that's the king's chariot 
And the little boy looked up and he said, it may be your king, but that's my daddy. You see, it makes all the difference who it is that we are praying to. And you'll notice that Jesus over and over again uses the words, my father, when he prays. Over and over again, he talks about my father. You'll notice when he, he prays here, he says, our father. It's, it's not a personal pronoun. There's no my, there's no me, there's no mine. It, it's our. You know what that tells me also? It tells me that we're in the family together. If we have the same father, what does that make us? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I've got twin boys, and I can tell you, they don't always get along perfect. I wish they did. Sometimes they fight, sometimes they bicker, sometimes we might fight, sometimes we might bicker, sometimes we might see things differently, but at the end of the day, there ought to be a love in this place. Amen? We ought to care about each other. We ought to rejoice when others rejoice and grieve when others grieve. The other day we were at a, at a game, and the game was tied up. It was coming towards the end of the game, and Mason got up to bat, and he got on and he, he hit just a, a bomb of a ball over to left field, bounced off the fence, and everybody's screaming and everybody's hollering. I looked over in the dugout because I could hear one voice over all the others. You know who it was? It was his brother. Maddox was up on the fence. He was going crazy. He was going nuts because his brother had done well. You see that we're family together. It means that we care about each other. We want to see each other succeed. We want to see each other do well. So he, he prays. He said, our Father in heaven. There's community to that. There's a question that comes up over and over again. People ask, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? You ever hear that? People ask all the time, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. You don't have to. You can be saved and never go to church. But I believe when you're truly saved, you'll want to be in church. Over 87 times, the Bible talks about the one another's community. Look, if you want to be a football player, you've got to have a team to be on, don't you? You can't play football by yourself. You want to be in the marching band, you've got to have folks going with you. The church, we're in this together, and so there's no personal pronouns. It's not about me. It's not about my. It's about us together. And so when Jesus prays over 70 times, he calls Father. In fact, there's only one prayer that Jesus prays that he does not call God Father. Think about it. Can you think of which one it was? It's when he is on the cross, and he calls out, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Only in bearing the sin of the entire world did he not call God Father. All other times he does. Can I just tell you, you serve a Lord who is connected to you. You serve a Father who wants to be a part of your life. He's not, he's not distant. He's not detached. He wants to be an active part of your life. You see, God's paternity, it displays, first of all, love. The Bible says, see what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us that we shall be called children of God, and so we are. Folks, it's hard for us to understand, but the God of the universe loves you. And not the kind of love that we see, because there's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does right now. You can't give enough money to earn the love of God. You can't come to church enough to earn the love of God. And on the other side, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. 
This whole Bible, the whole book, is a story of the love of God. We have sin, we have a problem, and out of his love, he finds the solution. I, I was thinking about this this week, and it, it touched my heart because I am a, just a sinful, sinful man, and I know that. Got lots of problems, but I look at the way that I love my kids. Now, we have a, very much a give-and-take relationship. I give and they take, and I give and they take. And I keep giving and they keep taking. But as I, as I watch them, I, I'm just so proud of them. Watching them last Saturday and Mags is playing shortstop and this ball comes so fast and he, he fields it so clean and he throws the runner out at first. And in my heart, I'm just thinking, that's my boy. That's my boy. And Mason gets up on that pitcher's mound and everybody's watching you know all the pressure is on right there and he I watch him as he grits his teeth and he he stares that batter down as he comes in the box and he delivers that pitch just time and time again and in my heart I'm just thinking that's my boy and I watch Kaysen little girl and she's got this little scooter and she's going 90 to nothing the whole place I mean she's just bebopping around and she's smiling and she's giggling I'm thinking oh that's my girl all these kids are out here. I mean, there's kids everywhere, all this stuff going on. But I just want to yell out, number 29, he's mine. Number 11, that's my boy. That beautiful little girl, she is mine. I'm so proud of her. I love her so much. In my heart, it just, it just beats for them. I want the very best for them. And, and I'm sinful and broken and fallen. Can you imagine how pure the love of God is for us? That he looks down on us in that same way except totally pure, so much better, so much richer. And he looks at you, listen, God loves you. And you might look at your life and you might say, well, I've messed up in a lot of ways. And maybe you have. I have too. Maybe you look at your life and say, man, I don't know how anybody could love me. And maybe you don't feel loved by a lot of people. But listen to me, when the Lord looks at you right now, he loves you. He's proud of you. He wants you. He desires you. He's got a great hope and a future for you, for your life. You're not junk. You've not squandered too much. He looks at you and sees so much good and so much value. And that starts in this understanding of our Father in heaven. The love of God for our life. You see, it's, it's, so, it's just awesome to me. If we understood this, it changes the way that we serve him. If we understand that we're not, we're not trying to serve God to earn heaven, we're not trying to serve God to get something, we're serving God because we love him and he loves us, it totally revolutionizes our spiritual living. And so when we see God's paternity, it displays love, but it also displays grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. In other words, it means that you get something that you do not deserve. Philip Yancey says it's hard to accept, it's hard to believe, it's hard to receive. Grace shocks us in what it offers. It's truly not of this world. It frightens us with what it does for sinners. God does for others what we would never do for them. We would try to look for good folks and save them. God says, I love everybody. And he begins to pour out his grace and his mercy. Listen to me. The only reason you have salvation today is because of the grace of God. Amen? Nothing that you've done. You could never work for it. You could never earn it. You're not good enough, not even close. 
Our best is like filthy rags. That's from the Word of God. But because He loves us, He has grace upon us, and He gives us what we do not deserve. Grace is founded on the love of a Father. But we also see that God's paternity imparts guidance. Now, some of you know this all too well because even when you're grown, your parents still try to tell you what to do, right? My boys come home, and now they, they ask, Daddy, can you help me with homework? And I say, sure, let's sit down. And so we sit down at the table, and uh, they say, this is the problem, and I read it, and I'm thinking to myself, I have no clue. I, I have no idea. <laughs> But I can't let them know that because they're going to think or they're going to know they're smarter than I am. And so I'll say, well, Maddox, what do you think the answer might be? <laughs> you know? And then he'll give me the answer and I'll say, well, explain to me how you came to that answer. And I'll try to learn as they explain. I'll say, that sounds good. But there's something about being a parent that there is, there's guidance. Way back in the, the Old Testament, we see that. We see that God guides his people. Exodus 13, we see a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night guiding the people of God. John 16 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. Hebrews 12 says he is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author. What does that mean? It means he wrote the book. He knows how to get through your life and get through your life well. You're in 2008. The economy went into a recession. You remember that. And all the markets were affected. Real estate was affected. Banking was affected. Sales went way down. The stock market plummeted, kind of like what we're seeing right now around us. All this began to happen, except there was one industry that kept going. It, it kept growing. It got larger and larger. It grew 13% from 2005 to 2008 in these difficult times. It was the self-help industry. Everybody wanted guidance. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to navigate these times? How am I supposed to cope when life is tough? Can I just tell you, as children of God, we've got the Holy Spirit within us who wants to guide us and direct us. Listen, if you've got marriage problems, he'll tell you how to have a good marriage. You want to know how to be a good parent or a grandparent? It's all in here. He will guide you. He will direct you. He will put you on the path that he wants for your life. Now, we're almost done, Miss Donnie. Hang on, okay? God's paternity, it also eliminates worry. You're in Matthew 6. Look at verse 25. God's paternity eliminates worry. Matthew 6, look over at verse 25. I love this. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I tell you, even Solomon... And all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so gives close the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows what you need above them all. But seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Listen, I understand why the world is stressed out. Amen? I understand why people are anxious. I understand why they worry. I understand why folks have panic attacks. I know why people take drugs and they go on these eating binges and shopping sprees and they just try to distract their mind. I realize that we are living in an anxiety-ridden culture. It's amazing we live in the most indulged, the most lavish society ever, the most comfortable society that has the most, but it seems like the most anxious, stressed out, and panicked culture the world has ever seen. We have a massive medical world that does nothing but help folks with stress. No worry goes unnamed. No worry goes undefined, undiagnosed, or unmedicated. And the best the world can do is to manage it. But the Lord comes and says, I don't want to help you manage your anxiety. I want to show you how to eliminate it. I want to show you how to get rid of it. A hundred million people are estimated to have panic attacks. And the best the world can do is let's just help you get through it. But the Lord comes and says, I'm going to take it out of your life. Verse 22 says, stop being anxious. Verse 29 says, stop worrying. Verse 32 says, stop being afraid. Those of us that struggle with worry from time to time, I'm one of them. Anybody else? You want to raise your hand? I know you're out there. The word means to choke. Worry comes from an old German word that means to choke or to strangle. We know that's what it does. It chokes you to where you can't live the life that you're called to live. And listen, the fact that he's our father means we don't have to worry because he is in charge. God's paternity, it provides guardianship. You see, it says our father, but then it says in heaven. He's not like your earthly father. He's not limited in resources. He doesn't have just a little bit of money or a little bit of wealth. He's not limited in power. The father we're talking about that is personal to us, he's got all the power you can imagine. Amen? He's got all the resources. He's got everything needed. So when you go through life and life gets really hard and you look around and you say, there's no way for me to cope, you might not can cope, but God can do it through you. Our Father in heaven, the in heaven part reminds us of the God that we are serving. God has all the resources of heaven. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah was a good king, a godly man. So it's a, it's a bad time. But he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It's a bad day, but listen to me, God is still on his throne. You might be living in a bad time right now. You might be going through some difficult circumstances. Situations might be tough all around you, but understand this, today God is still on his throne. He's got the power. He's got the might. He's got the resources. And not only does he have that, but he loves you. The last thing this leads us to 
is God's paternity demands a responsibility. God's paternity, the fact that God is our Father, it demands responsibility. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Exodus tells us to honor our father and mother. If we're to honor our earthly parents, how much more are we to honor our perfect heavenly father? Let me ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And I want you to think about this. In your life, it could be that you focused a whole lot on what you're supposed to do. And you've got this list going. Think about it. You've got your list. I, I need to go to church on Sunday. I need to make sure I don't go here. I need to make sure I don't watch this. I need to make sure I don't say these words. All this list. I'm supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to do this. And for a lot of, a lot of believers, that's their spiritual life. It's a list of I do this and I don't do this. I want you to think not so much on what you're supposed to do and not do. I want you to think about what you are. Listen, if you're a believer this morning, you are a son or a daughter of God. That's what you are. That's who you are. Realize that. It'll change the way you pray. It'll change the way you live. It'll change the way you serve and the way you worship. I'm not talking about what you do. I'm talking about who you are. You are a child of God if you're saved a child of one who loves you, who wants to be a part of your life, who shows you grace and mercy and love and guidance, who eliminates the worry of your life. That's who you are. Now, when you realize that, it changes your responsibility. What do you do? You want to honor him. You honor the ones that you love. God is not detached. The Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. When we live in such a way that is selfish, we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we understand who we are, that's when we seek to honor Him. Honor Him with our life and our living. Lord, we thank You for this day. Thank You for each one who's come. Lord God, I pray that we've learned. We've learned more about You. Lord, we will see You in proper, proper light this morning. Let us see Your love, grace, and mercy. Lord, if there's one here who's not saved, they're not a child of yours, I pray that you'll call them to salvation this morning, that they can experience your love. Lord God, I pray if we're not honoring who we are, we're not honoring you, I pray that you will convict us. Lord, show us what needs to change in our life. Let us to be totally on fire for you. Love you more than anything else, because that's what you've called us to. Lord, thank you that you love us so much. In the name of Jesus, amen. Stand with us. Let's sing together. Pass me not, O gentles.
You can stay standing because we're going to be out on time. We've got three minutes. Let me remind you, this evening we'll be back, Matthew 6, looking at those earlier verses. Hope you'll be back with us, 6 o'clock. Ladies Bible study will be at 5, Fellowship Hall right behind us. And then we've got regular activities coming Wednesday. Also preschool praise, kids praise tonight, bring the whole family going to be good. Our missionaries will be coming back on Thursday, so make sure you pray for them. They come back home safely to us, and uh, we will see you soon. Okay, thank you so much for coming, being a part of this service. Brother Roger, would you pray for us, please?